Episode 263 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Self-Publishing School. Get a free copy of Chandler Bolt's book, Published, when you sign up for free training to go from blank page to published author in as little as 90 days. Visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. Your calling is specifically what you want it to be. So if that calling is curing cancer, then great, go for it. But if your calling is that you want to buy a Maserati and a beach house, there's nobody who's there to judge that. That's your calling and that's cool. My calling is to be right here, right now with you hosting the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm Jeff Brown, and I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then lifelong learning is a must. Intentional and consistent reading, in other words. I developed this podcast to help you narrow this ever-important reading list and also help bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. Today, that person is Laura Gassner-Odding. Her new book is called Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. I'll be asking Laura to share what it means to live life in consonance, the difference between calling and purpose, and why it's an important distinction, how to bring more calling, connection, contribution, and control to your work, and lots more. When it comes to running your own business, whether you do that now or hope to soon, just knowing what tools to focus on and and what tools to ignore can be a job all by itself. It seems like there's 47 tools for every need, and it's an even bigger problem now than when I started out a few years ago. Fortunately for you, I've got a tremendous and free resource that will shave dozens of hours off time you'd otherwise spend researching this stuff on your own. I'm giving away what I call my big old box of boss free tools PDF for a limited time to anyone who registers for my upcoming virtual summit, the boss free virtual summit. As a coach, speaker, podcaster, course, and membership site creator, mastermind group leader, and blogger, I know a thing or two about what works and what doesn't in regard to tools. Now, in this free PDF, I've included not dozens, but one tool for nearly every need to run your business like a well-oiled machine. No bright, shiny object syndrome here. From software, hardware, and apps to my presentation, productivity, and podcasting tools, I narrow it down to just the essentials. I've even included my office accessory must-haves. You know, those things that give your workspace that personal touch, and my personal recommendations for graphic design and project management. Even if you're not able to watch the summit, register just to get my big old box of boss free tools. It's free, after all. To register for the summit and grab this amazingly helpful resource, just go to bossfreesummit.com right now. Bossfreesummit.com. Laura Gassner-Odding is a serial entrepreneur, a philanthropic activist, and a former White House political appointee. The knowledge and experience she's gained in interviewing thousands of leaders at crisis points in their lives and their careers has made her a highly sought-after speaker, consultant, and executive coach. She's spoken across the U.S. and internationally to universities, companies, conferences, accelerators, TEDx, and the U.S. military. And her brand new book is called Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. Well, Laura, uh, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. I am thrilled and excited to have you here. 
Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk to your audience. Well, as I was preparing for this, I was watching some of your videos. One of those I watched was your TEDx talk. And I kept wondering, how much does she bench press? Because those arms are cut. <laughs> you know, I um, I actually don't do that much bench pressing, but I, I am a competitive rower. Mm. And so, and I row because I'm actually not a very good competitive rower. Um, I have to row lightweight. I'm only five foot five. So, you know, oh, wow. most rowers are like five, nine, five, ten, or like the shortest women. And they tend to be like a hundred and 70 pounds so they can really use their mass to move the boat back. But what I've learned is that I'm actually fairly strong for my size and for my age. So if I can row lightweight, which usually just means I have to lose a few pounds before major national competitions, then I can uh, I can row above my above my weight class. I can punch above my weight as it is. So, you know, I feel like you should use everything you possibly can to give yourself every advantage you can. And so I think when I did that TED talk, I was just before rowing in a master's national lightweight competition. So I was probably pretty lean. <laughs> well, I saw your uh, interview too on the Today Show, and I would not have guessed you were. You said five five. I'm five five, but wow. I, 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 in my imagination, I'm about five ten. Oh, so that's I, what so I was going to guess. I say that I play big on TV. <laughs> that's great. Well, uh, I think all of us, most of us have been given or at least have heard uh, at some point in our lives that follow your passion advice. And I want you to share, Laura, why you feel like that's the world's worst possible advice. Yeah, so I always say that I think that follow your passion is like the spoken word illegitimate sister of the live, laugh, love tattoo. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, we've all seen her, right? That like beautiful flaxen haired, perfectly beach wave beauty sitting on a beach looking out over Coachella or something. And, and she's telling us to follow our passion as if that's enough, mm. right? Follow your passion and you'll be happy. And the truth is, anybody who has ever been passionate about something has felt success in it after they've been knocked down by it, after they've been gutted by it, mm. after they've, they've, they've gone to the bottom of the well of their energy and maybe even their bank account to get there because it's in the getting up and the trying again and the perfecting that we find our love for something, that tenacity, that grit of something that we like. And so I think follow your passion is great, but it's a start. It's not the full story. And so what I tell people I'd rather see them do is not just follow their passion, but invest in their passion because it's in the investing in your passion that you really, really learn to, to, to get good at the thing about which you're passionate. Well, in chapter one, Laura introduces uh, the book's uh, through line, this idea of consonance. And, and I want to know, Laura, why you feel we're in a consonance crisis. What does living life in consonance mean? So I have found that there have been moments in my life where I have felt like, you know, everything on paper is great. I've got the great job. I've got the great house. I've got the great spouse. I've got my kids in exactly the right after school music programs. Why aren't I happy? Right? Why isn't it enough? I feel like I filled the check boxes along everyone else's path, along everyone else's definition of success. And I did all the things I was supposed to do. I gathered all the gold stars along the way. And yet all those boxes are full, but I still feel a little empty, like something's missing. And I believe that it's because we aren't in what I call consonance, this idea of alignment and flow, where we're no longer, you know, following our passion or we're no longer looking for this ephemeral work-life balance that, you know, God forbid you even find it. You certainly can't hold on to it. And we're, we're stuck with this idea that our work in order for it to have purpose has to be this higher calling. And I think what we're not doing is we're not saying, well, if everyone else's definition of success 
isn't making me happy, then what will? And I think that starts by ignoring everybody else and finding our own definition of success. And rather than leaning in, we're leaning into this idea of being all things to all people all the time. And, you know, Sheryl Sandberg's definition of, you know, the fastest and most expedient path to the corner office, I would much rather people define what happiness means for them and lean into that. And so for me, as I was interviewing over the course of a 20-year career doing executive search, thousands of people that, you know, leaders that were at the top of their game in these major moments of career change, what I noticed was that the ones who were in consonance were the what they did matched the who they were, you know, really in their soul when the work they were doing was part of who they were when they were the very best version of themselves. Those were the ones who were in consonance and those were the ones who didn't get burned out and 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 didn't have midlife crises and and, and didn't sort of question the path, but were really able to be incredibly effective towards the causes they cared about or for the people that they loved. What was that like, Laura, for you specifically? As I know, when you started your business all, all those years ago, your your firstborn, I think at the time, was six weeks old. Yeah, what a great time to start a business, right? <laughs> It was, you know, it was it was challenging, and uh, you know, for uh, to risk being a little TMI. I mean, any woman listening to the show will will appreciate this. I had had twenty four hours of labor in an unplanned C section for mm. my first child, which means at the six week old mark, I was really not even walking across the room wow. without assistance. It was pretty tough. But I had, um, before I went into executive search, the early part of my career was in politics. And I had worked in the Clinton White House helping to create the National Service Program, which would become AmeriCorps. And I went from there to go into executive search for uh, the biggest and the brightest, you know, the marquee brand firm. And I did it for four years until I had this moment of rage where I said, there's got to be a better way to do this faster, more efficient, more expedient, better for our clients, better for, better for the staff, you know, uh, uh, with more profit, more purpose, more authenticity. And when, once I figured that out, I couldn't keep doing it the old way. And so I, I left the firm, I had the baby, and then I got a phone call when this newborn was six weeks old. And it was a friend of mine from the White House days, and she was like, yeah, so, um, ew, I heard you had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, that's that's cool, I guess. But um, are you still doing search? Because the CEO of my organization just left and we need a search. And I was like, uh, yes. <laughs> and I gave her a pitch and I told her what I could do. And she said, great, send me a contract. So I opened up my laptop and I Googled how to create a contract for a professional <laughs> services company. And I started my company. But the, the company was based on this idea that I understood a better way to do it in a way that was aligned with who I was in the world that would contribute to the values I want to manifest in, on, on a daily basis and the trajectory of the career that I wanted to build. And because it made sense for me and for the clients and, and for what I wanted to do in the world, it, it, that it allowed me to sit on the same side of the table as my clients, as opposed to on the other side with our profit and loss in between us, we were able to be exceptionally successful. And that firm grew 100% every year for the first 10 years. Mm, wow. Well, um, I know you, you've mentioned some of this, but I want to dig a little more deeply into the four elements as you lay them out in the book of, of consonants. And one of those, the first one you talk about is is calling. Sometimes calling and purpose are often thought to be the same thing, aren't they? But, but you see them differently. 
Yeah, I think that's why we get calling wrong. You know, mm. when somebody says to you, well, what's your calling? You think, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, right <laughs> now I'm, you know, enjoying building this business or I'm I'm enjoying creating a life that is is taking me out of debt for the first time ever. Mm. Um, I looked up purpose in, in the dictionary because, you know, people are like, what's your calling? Find your purpose. And I'm like, well, what if your purpose is building that business or living debt free? So I looked up calling in the dictionary, like an actual dictionary. <laughs> and um, purpose is merely the reason for which something exists. Mm. That's it. You know, there's no picture of Mother Teresa feeding <laughs> the lepers in Calcutta. There's no picture of a friend wagging her finger at you in some judgmental way. Your purpose, your calling is specifically what you want it to be. So, you know, if that calling is curing cancer, then great, go for it. I want you to do it. I spent 20 years helping people find work in nonprofits. Like I believe mm-hmm. deeply in, 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 in being of service to others. But if your calling is that you want to buy a Maserati in a beach house, there's nobody who, who's there to judge that. It's just like that's your calling and that's cool. But I think when we try to say that calling can only be this higher purpose, this lofty purpose, and it's for other people, for other times, later, after I've made my money, whatever the, the thing may be, then we spend the bulk of our lives, the bulk of our productive time in this space where we feel unmoored, untethered, because we don't have this gravitational force of something we care about. And so I encourage readers in the book to start with this idea of calling, of what is the gravitational force, the thing that you want to do, the problem you want to solve, the business you want to build, maybe the societal ill you want to you want to solve, but what is the thing that you want to do more than anything else and to spend time working in within that? Coming from a listener-supported nonprofit radio, I worked in that field for about 13, 14 years. I found your, your take on charity uh, and how we typically view it uh, quite, quite fascinating in its origins with, with the Puritans. Oh, yes. So how do we get into this, this, this problem of what calling means? And so I started thinking about, well, where does charity come from in the first place? And the idea is that the pilgrims came to this country because they were trying to figure out a way that they could practice their religion with freedom. And they also were looking for a way where they could make money and live with freedom. And so they came here. And, and, and here's the problem. Like on, on the boat on the way here, they got lots of sermons and lots of lectures because they're Puritans. They were puritanical. They're super religious. The problem with wanting to practice your religion, but also wanting to make money is that you get a lot of puritanical guilt. And so they got sermons on the boats on the way, you know, to the new world about this idea that charity is the salvation you pay for doing well in the world. It's how you pay your way into heaven. So it turns out that charity is not salvation for the poor. It's actually salvation for the rich. And so because of that, you have this entire nonprofit sector that's been built on this idea of celebrating the people who give and putting their names on buildings and making it all about the recognition of the donor as opposed to the impact of the gift itself. And so we have this crazy upside down notion where service has to be sacrifice, that service has to be giving of yourself rather than service being asking the right questions and solving the real problems. Who are you really serving? Yeah. Who are you really serving? The next element, Laura says, is connection. Laura, what is connection exactly in in this context? It sounds like it might be obvious, but I'm going to get a better sense of it from you. Yeah, well, connection is the answer to the question, what if I didn't show up to work tomorrow? Would it matter? Um, it is why you in that box, in this organizational chart, in that company actually matter, why your work matters. And for some people, you know, when I was young and on that 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 campaign trail before my, my White House days, I had all the calling in the world because I was inspired and we were going to change the world. But I was gophering coffee. I mean, I was a peon. I was useless. 
so so I understood that my work didn't matter, but I also understood that getting coffee for the people that were writing policy, that were creating, you know, communications, <laughs> that were doing the fundraising, kept them awake long enough so that they could do those bigger things that they were meant to do. So even though I didn't have any connection per se from the work I was doing to the calling, I had sight lines about why it mattered. You know, we all look around and go, does it really matter? Would it really matter if I got this 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 proposal in in time or if I, you know, if I if I cleaned up this office or if I got to this meeting, you know, early or five minutes later, like who cares? Like, do I matter? So connection is really understanding how your work matters to the bigger calling that you're trying to serve. And if it doesn't necessarily matter what the sight lines are about how decisions are being made so that you can understand how to how to develop your own career to get to that place where it does. Kind of the story of the, of the janitor who meets John F. Kennedy at NASA, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> right. And I don't, I opened my book talking a bit about that story. And I fully mm-hmm. admit in the book that I don't know if that story is true or not. Right. It's been told so many times. It's possibly, you know, it's apocryphal tale. But this idea that, you know, when John F. Kennedy walked up to this janitor um, at NASA and said, what are you doing here? He put his mop down and he said, I'm putting a man on the moon because he understood that his work was part of the entire mission. So even if your work isn't mission critical, your work still matters. And connection is, is your internalization. It's your understanding. It's your recognition of how your work actually matters towards that calling you want to serve. Well, maybe you've desired to, at some point in the not-too-distant future, share your work in a book, your knowledge, your expertise, but it's just not happening. Well, it is hard, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I can assure you it isn't when you have a proven system in place that you can follow, and that's what my friend Chandler Bolt has in self-publishing school. Chandler and I have set up a special link you can visit to sign up for free training on how to go from blank page to published author in as little as 90 days, including the exact book launch blueprint to follow to launch your book to $10,000 and beyond and even earn monthly royalties month after month. To sign up for this free training, it's simple. Go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash published, and then you can pick a time and date that works for you. And here's one of the best parts. When you sign up for this free training, Chandler sends you a copy of his book, Published, also free. It currently sells for about 15 bucks on Amazon, has about 500 five-star ratings and reviews, but it's yours free just for signing up for this free training. And it's like that free resource I talked about earlier tied to an upcoming event. Even if you're not going to attend Chandler's training, sign up for it just to get the free book. Why not? Again, the place to go is readtoleadpodcast.com slash published and get your book out of your head and on paper fast. I read a book once that began with the sentence, it's not about you. The, the third element in consonants, Laura says, is contribution. And this one is all about us, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's all about you. And so, you know, we have, we have this idea that, uh, you know, we have work over here, we have life over here, and they, you know, they, they have to be in balance all the time. And I want people to think about them not being in balance, but being in alignment. So if connection is about the work you do, contribution is, in fact, all about you. It's about how that work contributes to the life that you want to lead. And so it's A, are you making enough money to live the lifestyle you want to live? Is it giving you the kind of time that you want to have the life that you want? Uh, Is it allowing you to manifest your values into the world in a way that actually feels good to you? And is it allowing you to build your career um, with a trajectory uh, and a velocity that you want? So for example, 
I love to travel. I am never as happy as when I have a, 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 a passport in one hand and an airline ticket in the other. And I love to go to fancy new places for quick weekend getaways and stay, you know, in nice hotels. So for me, the money I make matters. That contributes to the kind of lifestyle I want. But one of my closest friends likes to go to crazy far off places and trek deep into the jungle and, and stay in tents and get bitten by fleas. And that just <laughs> sounds terrible to me. But she doesn't need any money to do it. What she needs is time. So for her, if she has a career that's contributing lots of money to her life, but not lots of flexibility and time, then it's not contributing to the life and the lifestyle that she wants. So toward the end of the book, in in part three, Laura gives some options that you might consider to better live out consonants in your life. The one I chose was working for myself. And in part, it was because the element of consonants I think that was most important to me was control. Why do we need control? Or at least some of us need a lot of it more than than others, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So I need tons of control. I am a control freak of the highest order, right? Like I would never get on a roller coaster that I didn't know how many times I was going to have to go on it or how long it was going to last or if the seatbelt worked or even it had been inspected. Although that said, even if I knew all those things, I would probably still not get on a roller coaster because I am a control freak of the highest order, (laughs) but not everybody is. Some people like to be in the passenger seat. Some people like to be in the driver's seat. As an entrepreneur, as somebody who didn't like the way the game was being played and wanted to figure out a better way to do it, I wanted to be in control of my destiny. I wanted to know that every decision I made, every sacrifice I made, every expenditure I made was actually going towards the thing that I thought made sense. Now, for years, I had people who worked for me who I thought were entrepreneurs because they came to work for me, an entrepreneur in this Mm. sort of small growing business. And it wasn't until I realized that just because they were entrepreneurial in their mindset didn't make them actual entrepreneurs. They were really happy to be in this entrepreneur space, but they didn't want to be the risk taker in the end, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if there's a difference there. And that difference was subtle, and it took me a while to figure it out. But once I figured out that I wanted to be the one who were, was making the big decisions, but they also needed at least some element of what projects do I get assigned to? What teams am I working with? Who are my clients going to be? You know, How much control do you have over your ability to make money, to build your career, to impact the values, to influence the prestige of the the brand for the place that you work. People who want more of that control will need to up their their control quotient. And the thing about each of these is that we all need to have some of each of calling, connection, contribution, and control in our lives. But we don't need to have all of each of them. So for example, you may say, I have all the calling in the world running my own business because that is my calling. I want to build this thing. The connection, everything I'm doing needs to matter because I could be doing 1,400 other things. So I want to make sure that I'm being efficient. Contribution, I need that. I wanted to contribute to the to the flexibility I have, but I'm willing to forego maybe maximizing my profitability so that I can maximize the impact that I have and then control. Absolutely, I want to, I want to be doing this. Where somebody else may say, I don't really care if the work I'm doing is making the world a better place. I don't really have a ton of calling. That's really okay. But I have a lot of contribution. I'm making a lot of money. And what I really want is I just really want to buy that second home. Or what I really want is I want to get myself out of debt and pay off my student loans. And in terms of connection, who cares if the work actually matters to the daily basis? As long as they give me the paycheck, I'm cool. But boy, I better have a lot of control because I want to be the person who's deciding whether the hustle that I'm doing is actually paying 
paying off so that I can get to that second home or that paying off the debt or whatever faster. So for everybody at every age and at every life stage, it's going to be completely different what their rubric of consonants looks like. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got a a couple of questions, Laura, I want to ask you that aren't directly related to the book, if I may, in the few minutes we have left. Uh, Before I do that, though, I do want to give you a chance to uh, share anything else from the book, if there's anything that you want to make sure that we that we know. Yeah, for sure. So as your readers are listening to this, your, your listeners, um, do you call them readers? I feel like you should call them readers. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, as, your, as your leaders, maybe I'll call them that, as your leaders are listening to this. Um, what I would tell them is if they're going, oh, I don't know, calling, connection, contribution, control, I don't even know where to start. Um, I would direct them to a quiz that I created, limitlessassessment.com. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that again, limitlessassessment.com slash read to lead. They can actually go and they can take a quiz. It takes about 10 or 15 minutes. There are about 60 questions. And it walks you through the four C's of calling, connection, contribution, and control, and will help readers to see exactly how much of each they want to have in their lives and how much of each they actually have in their lives and where they're not in consonants, where they they want to get more. And it'll give them some tips about where to go next. What a nice surprise. I didn't know you were going to do that. That's great. So surprise, (laughs) limitlessassessment.com slash read to lead. Excellent. Well, I want you to put your thinking cap on. Think about the the books you've read over the years, your course of your career, even if you'd like. What would you say, Laura, are the two or three titles that jump out at you as having had the biggest impact on you and maybe share why or how they impacted you as, as they did? Well, I would say Gretchen Rubin's Happiness Project was a real um, eye-opener for me because it was at, I was at a point in my life where I looked around and I said, you know, I've got everything. Why am I not happy? And this book was really just like a, you can decide to be happy every day and here are things you can do to do it. There are big things, there are small things, but you got to get yourself in the driver's seat. And that's good, right? So I, you know, that idea that each one of us can be in control of our own happiness, I think was just one of those like, oh, duh, (laughs) there's nobody that's going to make me happy except myself. So I should go figure that out. So I think that is one. When I was in graduate school, I read a book by John Gardner on leadership, which was super compelling to me because it was just a lot of writing about all the different things that leadership can look like. I had thought that leadership was only the person in center stage, the one with the spotlight. And understanding that leadership was really more about serving others and facilitating the greatness in other people. You know, I always say that my superpower is looking into people and seeing their Mm -hmm. greatness in a way that maybe they haven't seen it before, or maybe they can finally see it and believe it and, and, and act upon it in ways to achieve extraordinary results. And I think that book, if I were to look back, would probably be the beginning of where I started to think about leadership in a different way. That's one I've not read. I'll definitely have to check that one oh, out. Oh, it's fantastic. And it's from, you know, like it's from like the 70s. It's it's, ah. it's very, very old. And then I, I would give you one fiction book that I've yeah. read years ago, a book called Stones from the River by Ursula Hegie, H-I-E-G-I. And I read this book while I was traveling through Turkey and I was sitting on the back of a bus and just like bawling. It was so emotional. All these Turkish people are looking at me like I'm insane. (laughs) But the book is about a dwarf in World War II era Germany, a dwarf named Trudy Montag. It's a a book of fiction. But because she is so different and she's, you know, quote unquote, a freak, uh, it's what, you know, she calls herself in the book. People ignore her and they, they don't really, they don't really, they discount her and they don't really think she can do much. And because of it, she's just kind of always hanging around and she's and, and she gets to hear the secrets and she gets to learn about people and she ends up 
doing work on behalf of the resistance to, you know, to topple Nazi Germany. And mm. the idea behind, you know, taking those things that people assign to you as weaknesses and really seeing them as strengths or allowing yourself to be this unique person because of them, I think it's just a beautiful story. Well, as someone whose career, Laura, has morphed into a very successful speaking career, I'd love to know from you, and this is a question I ask just about everybody, uh, what are some of your tips for delivering a talk that is uh, impactful and a talk that's, that's memorable? So uh, the biggest lesson that I learned in speaking is this, stop speaking and start <laughs> talking. Um, nobody it. wants to listen to, um, you know, you mentioned my, my, my TEDx um, in the beginning of this. I, that was the very first talk I ever gave. No I mean, I'd done for 20 years, I'd done presentations at conferences and workshops and things like that. But that TEDx talk was, you know, 2,600 people, no notes, theater lights, mm. go, right? It was <laughs> terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. And I can't even watch it now because now when I look at it, all I see is like speak voice. <laughs> now that I get up on stage, I really go out and sort of in the back of my mind, I think to myself, like, screw it, let's go. <laughs> and and I and I just tell stories and I have a through line of what I want people to to understand. I I have a, a an understanding of sort of why I think there's a problem, why I think people are getting the problem wrong and why there's solutions that aren't working, and then how to tell them about the world as it really is so that the solution I present is one that seems obvious and one that they want to take up. And it follows my friend Tamsin Webster's beautiful red thread uh, process, which I would recommend for anybody thinking about speaking. But within that then is the idea of, okay, once you've done that, don't come out and give a speech, just tell stories and talk to people and be you. And, you know, I, I always say that my, my stage persona is more cocktail party, Laura, than mm. stage Laura. <laughs> and I just think the difference between speaking and performing is mm. is one that is is a is a real important difference for people to understand. I love that distinction. It reminds me in my radio career when I would run into to a newbie who thought when the microphone turned on you had to sound completely different like somebody oh, else. Yeah. Just drive me crazy. Yeah, and you, well, it's funny because I, you know, I've had speaking coaches like you know Michael and Amy Port are are terrific, and I, mm. I mentioned Hampson Webster earlier, who I would get up on stage and I would start talking, and they're like, "Wait, where'd you go? <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what happened to Laura? Where is she?" And now that I can get up there and just be like, "Yep, here I am," and I'm going <laughs> to tell a story, and you know that story may be ridiculous, but I promise it'll loop back around to where I'm going. People like stories, and they they like connection, and they like authenticity, and they like courage. You know, they, they want to hear a story that they can relate to. They want to be able to see themselves in your story. And I think that they, they want to know that you're creating for them a framework. So I think a lot of speakers come out and the first thing that they do is they throw at you their wall of smarts. I'm going to give you a tsunami of smarts so that you know that I know what I'm talking about. And you go, okay, yeah, that's great. It's really smart. I could never do that, but you know, that's really smart. And I you know, Albert Einstein once said that all wisdom is, or sorry, that all knowledge is experience. And and I think that's right. I think you don't really know something until you've experienced it, you've walked through it. But I think with all due respect to our friend Al, if all knowledge is experience, I think all wisdom is framework. And I think until you mm. present your your speech, your talk with a framework where somebody can say, oh, I see, I get it, I understand, and now I know how to take that and relate it to my own life, you're, they're, they're impressed by you. They're 
inspired by you, but they're not motivated by you. And I want to motivate people because otherwise, what's the point? Right. Uh, Talking about voice uh, again, people often comment, though it's hard to tell today with a cold on my radio voice. And I'm always quick to say, but that's my regular voice. It really is. It's my regular (laughs) voice. (laughs) You've got a voice for radio. (laughs) One of of, of the best searches I ever did when I did executive search was for the uh, WETA, which I'm sure you know, Mm. is the local uh, NPR station in Washington, D.C., I had so many crushes during the search. I just, I fell in love with every candidate because, you know, you spend the first six weeks of a search interviewing people by telephone and, oh man, I mean, these mellifluous, wonderful voices, they were fantastic. (laughs) Then I met some of them and... (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. <laughs> well, I know you're 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 heavy in promotion mode with the book just coming out. What's ahead for you beyond the book for you and your team that you're particularly excited about? Oh boy, I'm going to like 16 cities in the next mm. four weeks. What's ahead for me, I hope, is a is a is a drink with an umbrella in it somewhere on a beach. <laughs> That's what I really hope. Um, but what I really like to do, you know, throughout the book, I talk about how to make work have value in our lives personally. So to take that the things that used to motivate us, like money and prestige of brand and leadership and scale of impact and new school skills acquired. The things that we used to think about, what is that assign in terms of value of the job and assign them in terms of value of the job for us individually? And what I've been thinking about is that I'd like to take these and take responses that I get from the quizzes that people do and really think about, well, now, if I were a manager, how would I say to the manager? If I'm, if I'm, if I'm training managers, what do I say to them in terms of if you now understand how to make yourself limitless? How do you make your people limitless and your company limitless so your profits can be limitless? And so I think what's next, I mean, this gives you a little insight into my personality. I'm working on the promo for this book, but I'm already in my head writing the next one, Mm. which is, you know, the limitless leader or some sort of something where I actually take this rubric and I use it to teach managers how to make their people really connected because two thirds of the American workforce are in fact disengaged from the work. Mm. And now if you think about the 16 cities I'm flying to in the next four weeks, I'm hoping that at least the pilots are going to be engaged. I hope they fall <laughs> into the, to the latter third and are actually are engaged in the work because that's scary. Mm. <laughs> but if you think about two thirds of the American workforce being disengaged in the work, that's just a lot of unhappiness. And I think that there's something that we can all do to, to get people more engaged and to feel connected to their calling in some way where they can control the contribution and all these things that I've talked about. So that's probably on the horizon next, but we'll see. Well, the book again is called Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life. Her name is Laura Gassner-Odding and she's an awesome guest. Thank you, Laura, for taking time out of your day to, to be with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This is great fun. I love surprises, don't you? Well, we talked about a lot today. Books, resources, and more. The one link you need to remember for all of it is this one, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 263 for episode 263. Visit that link and all the stuff will be nicely listed and summarized for you there. Don't forget to grab your copy of my big old box of boss free tools. Each of the tools, one per category that I use to help run my business. It's free when you register for the boss free virtual summit at bossfreesummit.com. We're thankful too to the folks at Self Publishing School. You can grab a free copy of Chandler Bolt's book published when you sign up for his free training. Read to lead podcast.com slash published to find out more about that. 
I am so very thankful that you choose to listen to this show each and every week. And I sincerely apologize if it's caused you to spend more money on books than you ever thought possible. Well, actually, I'm not too sorry about that. That's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 